0: To a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations.
1: (laughs) It is truly an honor to work as a psychotherapist and to have the opportunity to witness people as they go through the healing process. I'm continually amazed by people's ability to transform their suffering into joy and to find meaning even in their most painful experiences. By developing compassion and forgiveness for oneself and others, I believe anyone can create a more fulfilling life, writes Dr. Mary Deo. Valeria Tella's interviews Dr. Mary Deo She is a licensed psychologist with good credentials, including a psychology doctorate from Stanford and an MA from Columbia, as well as great work experience in community mental health, managed health care, hospital settings, and private practice. More important than her education or resume, however, is the wisdom Mary has gained from working with people from all walks of life. What she has learned from the hundreds of stories people have shared with her over the years is that we all struggle. But that we can heal and grow from our experiences. People truly are resilient. Mary Deo earned her doctorate of psychology through the PGSP, Stanford Consortium Program, and her master's in clinical psychology from Columbia University. She is a trained practitioner in cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, dialectical behavior therapy, DBT, time limited dynamic therapy. And mindfulness based stress reduction, MBSR. And she has experience treating clients diagnosed with a range of psychological disorders, including depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, borderline personality disorder, and PTSD. Meet Dr. Mary at drmarydeo.com. Here's the interview with Dr. Mary Dale.
0: onwards, who is Dr. Mary Deal?
2: Well, I would say that I am, to sum it up, I would say I'm kind of a person who just cares very deeply about other people, about the climate, about the state of the world. Um, I think I've just always been kind of a sort of sensitive person who is very, easily in touch with other people's suffering and um, emotional pain. And so I've just always been drawn to wanting to help people and help them find the good in, um, in their struggles. So that's sort of how I would sort of describe myself internally. And then I've used that in my work as a therapist to try to help people find meaning of the issues they're struggling with and try to find a way through the pain so that they can live full and happy lives. I definitely believe in trying to enjoy life because life is precious. And uh, as much as there is suffering, I do believe there can always be uh, room for happiness and joy and connection. Mm, I love that,
0: Mary. (laughs) What a beautiful statement, Ah, opening statement. Would (laughs) you call it it a passion, a purpose, mission?
2: Um, That's a good question, I think. I suppose it's sort of a purpose, a sense of purpose. I get a lot of my identity um, and meaning out of life from feeling like I'm making a difference and feeling like I'm uh, sort of giving love to people. You know, I always say, you know, when I'm a therapist, it's not just listening or giving advice. It's really finding a way to give love to a person Um, because I think once you get to know someone and really... See their vulnerability and what they've gone through. It's it. You're allowed. You can start to feel true connection and love towards them. So, in some ways, that's kind of my purpose: is just to spread love and try to be um, just some inspiration and light in people's lives when they're in a dark place.
0: How would you describe love?
2: Mm, yeah, I think it's a combination of um, sort of a sense of caring for the person and feeling, um, genuine warmth towards a person and really wanting the best for them. Kind of the way I think of my children, you know, of course there's that unconditional love towards your children and just wanting so much for them to be happy and live full lives and just wanting to protect them and care for them. Um, I think that same feeling goes towards, um, to anyone you feel love for, it's just sort of a a kindness and a warmth and, and an understanding. I think a big part of love is feeling understood. So that's, I think what I really focus on when I'm working with a client is to help them feel understood, to try to understand them deeply, what it's like to be them, what it's like to go through the world with, with the way they feel and the way they present in the world and, and make their way through it. I think understanding someone is a huge gift because a lot of people don't feel understood. They feel kind of alone. They feel disconnected. So, I think that's a huge part of the healing is is allowing someone to feel safe enough to be vulnerable and um, and feel understood.
0: It seems to me, the more I talk to other people and read, that love is this dynamic of giving and receiving.
2: Mm-hmm. So,
0: do you also see that even though we have love to give and we are open to give, some people are not open. To receive mm-hmm. love and even mm-hmm. ourselves,
2: at absolutely. some level,
0: absolutely. Yeah, talk to me for a moment about that, Mary. Receiving yeah, love. Yeah,
2: it's it's certainly um, a common theme. Um, is self-love and self-compassion. You know, the tendency to people can be very kind to their friends and family, but when it comes to themselves, they um, are quite harsh, quite uh, yeah. quite mean to mm-hmm. themselves, and yeah. have a lot of self criticism. And so um, trying to help people speak to themselves, you know, the way they would speak to a good friend with that internal sort of dialogue, trying to be more patient and kind with oneself is, is almost learning to receive love from from oneself. And I think learning that can allow you to, f- to feel greater intimacy in relationships and allowing people to care for you and, you know, take Um, protect you or uh, give you compassion Um, some of us protect ourselves by keeping everyone at a distance and we feel scared to depend on anyone so it it is kind of a, a process to learn to trust you know trust is such a huge part of relationships and feeling safe in the world and especially people with trauma that can take a lot of work to learn to trust again and regain that sense of safety in the world
0: How fascinating that you brought the concept the idea of self-love to receiving Mm -hmm. love and Mm being trust. Mm -hmm. So true.
2: Yeah, I think they're very connected because if we don't, if we really don't believe we deserve love, then we're going to keep people at a distance and we're going to have a sense of loneliness and isolation. And part of learning to um, feel safe and comfortable is to learn to love ourselves and learn to forgive ourselves for our own mistakes and for things we don't feel good about and just remembering that we all do the best we can and we start from a place of our families you know teaching us sometimes dysfunctional habits and we have to sort of grow and make our way the best we can Um, but we um, you know need to just try to be more kind and loving towards ourselves before we can really accept love from someone else often
0: What an insightful message at this time. I think I needed to hear that too. (laughs)
2: Because I
0: talk and I write a lot about self-love, but uh, it seems like it's a practice too.
2: Oh, yeah. It's very much a practice.
0: Uh, Not just a moment of understanding.
2: Yeah, there's the insight in a moment, but you have to really work at it. (laughs) It's a practice, like every day. Mm
0: -hmm. How fascinating to learn. When we are open... To learn these things, it's wonderful. It becomes Mm -hmm. even more interesting, this journey in the human body. (laughs) Yeah, there's always a lot to learn. (laughs) Right. Uh, Among my open questions, we'll be talking in the moment more in depth about mindfulness and how it can be applied to the therapy and that's part of your work. So as an open question, what is, for those who don't know, what is mindfulness and what is the difference between mindfulness and meditation, Mary?
2: Yeah, that's a good question, because sometimes they are used kind of interchangeably, um, but mindfulness really is something we can be practicing all day long throughout the day, um, whereas meditation is more of a formal practice, typically, you know, sitting down, focusing on the breath, being in stillness and quiet, and allowing oneself to be internal and, and sort of watch your thoughts, watch your body, watch your emotions, observing So certainly mindfulness is part of meditation. That is sort of the, um, it's it's kind of one form of meditation, I guess I should say, because there are different kinds, but a very popular form of meditation is the mindfulness where you're just trying to continuously bring yourself back to the present moment over and over because our minds are always wandering and pulling us in different directions, pulling us to the future, bringing us back to the past getting distracted with problem solving. But mindfulness itself, separate from meditation, is, again, just being present, you know, staying in touch with your five senses. You know, anytime you're, you know, eating something and truly tasting it, truly experiencing the flavor, that's mindfulness. Or if you're seeing a beautiful flower and really noticing the color, that is mindfulness, staying in the moment. So it's kind of a deliberate practice. You're actually paying attention on purpose to the here and now, sort of feeling the the temperature, listening to the sounds, noticing your thoughts, but without being pulled into the story. So you're observing. There is a quality of observing with mindfulness. There's a little bit of distance from your own thoughts, which does allow for a different perspective that I think can lead people to have more compassion for themselves because when you can step outside and say, wow, I'm actually suffering, this is painful and this is hard, then then suddenly you have a different attitude towards what you're going through. Whereas if you're just kind of living it, not very consciously, not very very aware, um, we tend to just sort of berate ourselves and criticize ourselves for the way we're being and we act in a judgmental way. So a mindful my mindful way of relating to oneself is, is tends to be more compassionate and less judgmental. I think that's kind of the going along with sort of the Buddhist teaching of mindfulness. It's, it's a more, um, you know, they use the word equanimity where you're not seeing things as good or bad. You're just accepting what is, you don't have to evaluate all the time. You can say, this is what I'm experiencing. Yes, it's, it's somewhat challenging, but that doesn't mean it's good or bad. It's, it is what it is. And this is, this is part of my life right now.
0: The question that came to me was being in the moment to what is present, right, Mary? Mm-hmm, Even mm-hmm. If, if I have thoughts of the future now, then mm-hmm. it is being present to those thoughts. As mm-hmm. Well, if, isn't it?
2: Yeah, if you're, if that's true, if you're aware that your mind is being pulled into the future, you can, you want to notice that and observe that and say, oh, this is what my mind tends to do. My mind tends to want to figure out the future and plan ahead and prepare for it. And that's what it's doing, um, and so it's just learning about your own mind and how it tends to work, um, which can gain lead to a lot of insight.
0: What I notice is um, imagination sometimes plays like this huge role within my <laughs> yeah, mind. <laughs> totally. Right? It's very playful and keeps coming back with the ideas, creative ideas and things. Do you put in the same category, uh, thoughts?
2: That's an interesting question. So imagine, so do you mean like when you're having like daydreams or creative thoughts? Or, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. interesting. I think you can sort of think of it in two ways, um, which would be one would be that you can be very mindful about it and sort of deliberately say to yourself, okay, I'm going to spend this time like letting my mind go in whatever direction it wants and just be really open, but really paying attention in in a kind of deliberately mindful way. But I think on the other hand, it can certainly also be a tendency that pulls you away from the present moment, right? which doesn't mean it's bad or anything, but it is sort of like for those of us who tend to be, you know, sitting in Mm -hmm. school as kids and our minds are daydreaming and (laughs) fantasizing. It's like, you're not exactly being mindful, (laughs) right? um, but you are, you know, there is a richness to that and it is an important part of life and leads to creativity and leads us to find our dreams. Um, But it is a little different. So, and I think imagination has a negative side too, which is that, those of us with with anxiety tend to have very good imaginations because mm. we imagine the worst <laughs> in a lot of situations. <laughs> you know, we're in a car and yeah. we suddenly imagine a car crash. <laughs> or oh if if we get yeah. sick, we suddenly imagine cancer or, you know, we, our minds can go to the worst when we have good imaginations. So I often I often say it's kind of a mixed blessing to be a sensitive, imaginative person, because it can go both Mm -hmm. ways.
0: That is so true. That's a good point.
2: (laughs) I (laughs) noticed that,
0: too, within my mind, not too often, maybe because of practices that I engage in so many practices that it doesn't often become negative.
2: Good.
0: What is your ideas these days or understanding of spirituality?
2: Yeah, so um, let's see. I think most of us kind of crave and need... A sense of spirituality and I think um, it's, it can be quite individual in the sense that um, I think it has to truly resonate with who you are and um, it's important that um, you believe truly and, and deeply in what you what you are aligning with in terms of your spirituality. I definitely think you know with organized religion when people are just kind of fed certain information from a young age Um, that doesn't always work. It's not always a match um, with the person's natural kind of understanding of life and of themselves. So I think um, it's important for people to explore and see what truly they're drawn to. And certainly there are all sorts of directions people get pulled into. And I just try to be very open and respectful of anyone's um, belief system. Uh, For myself, I've been uh, I was raised kind of in the Christian household, although not very, certainly not very, um, you know, traditional. I didn't really go to church much or anything, but my mom was definitely identifies as um, Christian. My dad was not at all religious or spiritual. So we did have kind of a a scientific outlook as well. But for me, what I ended up being more drawn to is more the Buddhist teaching and sort of the... Um, the, which resonates actually a lot with psychology, because there's quite a bit of, um, in Buddhism, there's a lot of teaching that I, I really think was way ahead of its time in terms of even the unconscious mind, which, you know, Sigmund Freud was really credited with this idea that we have these unconscious impulses and beliefs and drives. Um, but way back, you know, thousands of years ago, in the Buddhist writing, there was this whole idea that we have sort of different levels and that we kind of store information that we're not fully aware of and how that influences us and how we're able to focus on the more positive things and and sort of change that um, inner world, which is quite um, quite interesting and quite aligned with how I think of psychology. And Thich Nhat Hanh, who I, I think you know, I'm, I'm very, I was really fond of and really was so drawn to and he was so wonderful he taught a lot about um like watering seeds within oneself so the idea that we all have negative seeds that if they're kind of given too much attention they can grow into you know hatred and anger but if we water the positive seeds in ourselves and others they can grow into love and friendship and kindness so I love that idea that we all have these potentials within us to go in different directions, but that if we, like with children, if we pay attention when they're doing something nice or they're doing something loving, those things will grow. Um, whereas if we're only focused on, oh, you shouldn't do this, that's bad, that's mean, that is what actually um, starts to develop. And so it's um, this beautiful concept of, of watering the, the positive seeds and the beautiful flowers can grow.
0: I saw that too, that connection to, not as a therapist, because I'm not one, but the how much Buddhism mm-hmm. work with the mind. It's amazing how deep they go into it.
2: Yeah, it's like they were quite scientific um, about their thinking about it. It was quite, um, I even ended up going to a retreat in um, in France where Thich Nhat Hanh was, was leading the retreat. And the, the theme was um, Buddhism and neuroscience. So they had all these neuroscientists sort of talking about the brain and what we know about it now and there was so, many, so much overlap between what the Buddhist monks who were just meditating all day long and observing their own minds had come up with very similar findings so it was just so fascinating that there's this incredible overlap
0: and I think that's why I was really interested because it made sense
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, right. It's sort of Common sense true.
0: And, and also the these abstract kind of um, ideas of life, they all exactly. come together. So exactly.
2: Playful. So it really kind of feels like it all just seems true. You know, it's it's kind of easy to to understand it and um, and go with it, even if you're not a very um, spiritual or religious person. I think most people can still appreciate the truth of some of those teachings that are very practical. You can apply them to your life.
0: I really wanted to ask you this question before for some reason. What defines mental health, Mary, from your perspective? And then if you can lead that into the effects of COVID in people's mental health, that would be wonderful. Mm. We can talk about That's this That's a too.
2: good good question. So, so let's see. Yeah, the way I think of mental health is um, sort of a... Um, resilience you know to to life's changes I mean we all have pain we all have suffering we all have loss and challenges but for some reason some people can sort of move through it and still stay pretty happy and pretty well adjusted and then other people become deeply depressed deeply um, disturbed anxious which you know there are combinations of reasons for that one is is truly there is a um, Genetic predisposition to mental illness. So, if it runs, if it's in your family, if there was a history of trauma going way back that maybe led to more fragility in people and they um, ended up developing depression or bipolar disorder, um, the children of those people will be more prone. Um, if they become, you know, if they grow up in especially a more stressful, dysfunctional environment, those things will kind of present and manifest. So it's not about blaming or saying like some people are you know necessarily better at um, going through the world and that's why they're happier. I don't really think that's true. I think some people have kind of an advantage in terms of being born with more kind of hearty genes. But I think you know in order to be what I consider a healthy person, there has to be a balance between you know feeling your feelings, being in touch with your emotions, but not to the point where they become all consuming, because when when people are really depressed, they can sort of drown um, in their sadness. And certainly with trauma, people become very flooded with very painful emotions. So learning how to hold that and make space for it, but also balance it with, you know, more joy and more positivity and health in your life. So learning how, how to really care for oneself. I mean, people need to learn to manage these things. So by getting enough exercise, I mean, the stuff we always hear about, but it is really true, getting enough exercise, proper nutrition, social support, I really believe that having community and friendships is probably the greatest protector and um, predictor of mental health issues. If you feel you have at least one person you can really talk to and you connect with, you're much more likely to, to um, sort of tolerate and, and move through hardship more successfully. If you're isolated and lonely, the depression is is much more likely to become debilitating and, um, and problematic. So community, I think in our society, you know, especially in like American Western society, there's... Um, certainly a problem with isolation and loneliness that has been quite detrimental to um, to many people's lives. And I don't think we necessarily value the importance of community. You know, even people used to go to church or people would be um, living in a more communal way. You know, they'd have like a grandmother living with them. And of course, in many parts of the world, that's still the case. And like maybe even in South America, <laughs> where you're, if you're, I think you're from Brazil, right? Um, There may be more of that sort of uh, lifestyle, which I think in many ways um, can be healthier because you don't have this sense of uh, loneliness or solitude that can be so painful.
0: It is so, so true. It resonates so true. Yeah, I remember... Having, I think I moved here when I was nineteen, mm. and I remember having those issues, mm, being lonely and feeling mm-hmm. lonely. Mm-hmm. And then I was kind of talking to my mother and you know there in brazil and, and she was so happy all the time and, and i was like how come love and joy around her <laughs> yeah isn't that interesting i was here in this first world country and everything
2: looked you know seemed Seems so, so glamorous warm, but, and exciting yeah, i was not feeling good no it can be very hard well especially in a brand new culture you can feel very much an outsider
0: what a wonderful message of community and how it helps with mental health. I agree a billion percent. Yes.
2: Yes, it's really true. And I think leading into your next question, I think that's a huge part of the reason the pandemic was so challenging. I mean, if you are a person who lives alone, for example, and then you can't even leave your home, you can't even go to the grocery store, you can't even go to your regular classes or the gym or work, it's it was quite traumatic for a lot of individuals and even people who were fortunate enough to have friends and family. it still created such a disconnect from many of their normal sources of support. You know, many of us um, have deep friendships and social gatherings that really keep us going. And having that um, taken away from us so suddenly truly um, was damaging to mental health. I mean, some of the more dramatic statistics were that you know throughout my entire education and career they always gave out the statistic that about 1 in 10 adults in the US suffer from depression or anxiety that's just kind of like 10% of the population which is a high amount but that was just kind of the the standard amount but during covid i heard It went up to 40%. So 40%, that's almost half the population, began struggling with depression and anxiety, and certainly rates of substance abuse went up, rates of domestic violence went up. Um, Certainly loneliness and isolation became much more prevalent. So this took a huge toll on the mental health system, and um, it was just kind of a a crisis. And um, I think... Uh, On the other hand, I do believe there were some benefits, um, which was that people did become a little more focused on their internal state. You know, I think people did become like things slowed down. Um, People began, you know, baking bread more or spending time with their pets or spending time with their children. Like you see a lot of dads out biking on the streets with their kids, which normally they would have been at work. People were gardening, kind of slowing down the pace, which I do think were some gifts. So um, one thing that that I sometimes talk about in my work is I've done a lot of crisis work in my career. I used to work for intensive outpatient program for years. So this is people who were you know suicidal, and some of them had to be hospitalized. Um, and one thing that I try to focus on with that population is this idea that a crisis is an opportunity for tremendous growth and change. So there's the, you may have heard of the Japanese word for crisis, which is, I think it's pronounced like kiki. And it's, um, it's a word that's made up of two different characters. So the one character is danger or dangerous. And the other one is opportunity. So mm-hmm. it's a crisis and it's obviously, you know, terrible and painful, but it also can be a chance for change, an opportunity for change. And I've seen that so much in my work. Someone will come in devastated, wanting to end their own life because of a relationship ending or a job situation. But they come out of it even just a few weeks later with a whole new vision of how they want their life to be. So maybe they need to be in a different relationship or a completely different new line of work. And these dramatic changes make their own lives so much more meaningful and so much more satisfying that they may not have even ever known that if they hadn't come to a crisis. So I do believe there's kind of a, a gift in store when there is a crisis. So I try to think of the pandemic that way in some ways, because as devastating as it was, hopefully it's brought to light a lot of the, um, the mental health issues that people cope with. Um, the, the importance of community, the importance of connection, all the things that some of us have learned during these past couple of years of what we really value and what's really important. Family, community, um, creative expression, all those things.
0: That's one of the topics we discuss a lot here is mm-hmm. um, what it takes to be open throughout mm-hmm. challenging moments
2: Mm-hmm. It takes
0: being open, it seems to me to see the possibilities
2: or exactly
0: the movements of life and what direction can we go? the possibilities really, the options
2: it's so true. people become kind of narrow minded when they're very unhappy and they can't see the possibilities and that's um something I try to do in work is 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 lead people to a greater flexibility in their thinking. There are always always other options, even when you're in Really dire straits, there are still other ways to go and different choices that can be made.
0: Yes, and that's certainly the case with depression because I had had the experience of mm-hmm. depression and I remember being focused on whatever was getting in my way. Yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. You get kind of fixated and ruminate, yes.
0: Yes. Ah, so flexibility. And I love the word you use, resilience, right? Which which it is connected to flexibility, right, Mary? <laughs>
2: (laughs) Definitely, definitely. Brazilian people have a greater flexibility. They're they're much better. They can roll with life. They can bounce Uh, around and not get stuck as much. Yeah. Um, Yeah, there's
0: something about uh, Brazilian culture. You're right. Um, Just kind of listening to you
2: now.
0: I'm like, wait a minute, it makes sense. (laughs) Uh, So I love this statement on your website. It says, by developing compassion and forgiveness for oneself and others, I believe anyone can create a more fulfilling life. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, compassion and forgiveness. Do you see compassion as love itself or an aspect that's,
2: of Yeah, love? that's a good question. I definitely think it's a part of love for sure. I mean, I definitely feel... Um, And that's kind of why I say that, I mean, it sounds a little strange to say I love my clients, but (laughs) I do because I think I feel deep compassion Um, for them. And I do think that creates this sense of closeness and intimacy. That's why I feel so grateful to do the work I can because I get to see um, people's inner worlds that they, you know, all the time people say that, you know, I've never told this to anyone and they tell me and it's such an honor to be invited into this private world, so I do think compassion is a big part of of love. I mean, I really do. But I, I mean, there's probably uh, more to it than just that. But I do think uh, I do think that's a really important piece.
0: How do you see forgiveness? I have different ideas about the word and mm-hmm. the understanding of forgiveness. It's kind
2: of a hard, yeah, it's a hard concept that people really struggle with. I sometimes sort of. Suggest to people, you know, you need to work towards forgiveness, either starting with self-forgiveness or forgiving someone who hurts you. Um, And people often really resist that concept because I think there's a fear that they're going to be letting the person off the hook or, you know, letting them get away with something. Um, And that's really not the purpose, I don't think. I think the purpose of forgiving someone else is truly for yourself. It's for setting yourself free so you can move on with your life and not be trapped in that anger because when you can't forgive someone, it's, you're almost a prisoner of that um, connection to them. And the only way to really set yourself free is to, well, the ultimate way, I would say, the ideal way is to actually forgive them. Many people can't get there. It's really hard and I don't necessarily expect most people to really do that. It's more of almost like an ultimate goal to strive for, like an ideal um, but even moving a little bit in that direction, I think, can be um, quite liberating and healing. And I think the way to, to start that process is to try to find um, some compassion, some understanding. Okay, this person was abusive to me, but why? Like, did they receive abuse in their childhood? Were they mistreated? Did they have mental illness? And is that why they were? so cruel to me and if you can see like they were a child once too and they were hurt that can usually bring at least a little bit more empathy and understanding which um, just makes the whole feeling a little bit softer towards them it doesn't mean that what they did was right it doesn't mean you condone any of it or that you'll forget it it just means maybe you can start to see it with somewhat more of a of an understanding attitude, which can lead to some more peace in the person. You know, there's so much turmoil when you're holding on to anger and pain.
0: Yeah, you used that word in the beginning of our conversation, understanding, and then resilience, flexibility, forgiveness. Mm-hmm. They're all connected to, it's almost like a yeah. shift in perspective, right, Mary?
2: Exactly, right. that's so true. That is how I think of it. I think of it as, a shift in perspective. And I say that all the time, um, with people, I say, can you just change your perspective Mm, a little bit, you know, towards yourself and towards others, It, it can be quite powerful just to sort of take a different viewpoint
0: it creates movement that's what it is it mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. keeps coming the flexibility back again. right yeah, yeah. <laughs> the life is movement so why not yeah exactly
2: <laughs> you don't want to stay stagnant and stuck you got to keep flowing along <laughs> right
0: yeah allow it to move i agree mm-hmm. the services you offer on your website i so saw individual couples and group therapy uh-huh. in your practice it is entirely online is that correct yes Mary?
2: it is it is so it's it's nice because I can see people anywhere um in cal any anyone from any from the state of california sorry <laughs> trouble getting that up since I'm licensed in california with the remote it doesn't really matter if you're you know in the same city I live in oakland california but I work with people all around so it's that is the one benefit of it
0: Okay, so that's good to know. I have the information here. And I'll have your website on your podcast profile too. Oh, thank you. You have written an article titled Mindfulness in Rumination. Does mindfulness mm-hmm. training lead to reductions in the uh, ruminative thinking associated with depression? So that's a, mm-hmm. a long question. <laughs> kind of a mouthful. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is. Oh, my God. I would love to hear more about the uh, what rumination is. I think we probably Mm -hmm. have been talking already about this. And Mm -hmm. also the process, how was the study conducted, the study Mm -hmm. mentioned in the article, and the results of it?
2: Sure, sure. So this was, it started as my dissertation, actually, when I was at the um, PGSP Stanford Consortium doing my um, doctorate in psychology. I was interested in rumination, which is essentially um, kind of obsessive thinking. So being very... um, preoccupy, kind of like what you were saying. When you're depressed, you get so hyper focused on certain negative uh, worries or concerns, and they sort of loop in your mind and just keep coming and coming. And it's very hard to even distract yourself from it or move on. And it's quite miserable. It's <laughs> sort yeah. of like um, torture. And I've, tell me I've had, this nice, <laughs> yeah, I've had this myself in my own depression when I've had depression in my life. And it's sort of where my, I guess, anxiety and depression kind of come together because it's sort of that anxious um, overthinking that is uh, rumination. And so I had read some really interesting um, research when I was in grad school about how people who tend to ruminate, even if they're not depressed, so say you're just like a relatively happy person, but your mind, you tend to sort of perseverate and dwell on certain things you're worried about, They sort of measured that and scored it. So certain individuals had a higher score in that. Those people were at a higher risk to go on to develop depression, like a major depressive episode later in life. So this kind of um, gave me this idea that if we could train people and help them to be more mindful, more present, and less likely to be caught in our heads and our own obsessive thoughts, that could actually be protective against depression so sort of this idea that like if children or younger people could learn how to stay present and not be um, as in their minds with these worries so much then maybe some of them would be spared this horrible experience of going into a deep depression so that was sort of the thinking behind it and uh, what I ended up doing was recruiting uh, there was at Stanford at the time, there were some classes called Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, which is, I think it's an eight-week course teaching people to meditate. And it's quite rigorous. People have to meditate for 45 minutes a day. They have to do yoga. They have to sort of um, take little classes on mindfulness and meditation. So by the end of it, they're quite you know, well-versed in the whole practice and they gained quite a bit of experience. So what I did was give kind of pre and post measures of, um, I think I also tested depression, but I I mostly focused on uh, this mindfulness scale of measuring um, how well people are staying present in the moment. And so um, along with, of course, the rumination scale. So the findings were that, you know, people who, you know, went higher up on the mindfulness scale went lower on the um rumination mm. and it was a pretty small study there was right. <laughs> unfortunately there was another <laughs> w- grad student at the time who was also <laughs> um studying mindfulness and she kind of got her hands on a lot of the, <laughs> the people <laughs> in those classes before I did so <laughs> I ended up with a pretty small sample size but fortunately it was it made a you know significant enough change that it was able to be you know a published article and all that so that was kind of exciting but um but yeah, so I think that's the idea is that um, mindfulness is truly um, protective against uh, mental health issues. And it, it really does lead to a greater quality of life, not just with mental health, but certainly physical health. There's been a lot of research on how it can help chronic pain and heart issues and rheumatoid arthritis, all sorts of physical health ailments. So it's it's really quite quite powerful.
0: Yeah, it, it sounds like, and not just sounds like, but I have the experience of it too.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: yeah. try. It is a practice, so it's mm-hmm. interesting. It's hard, it's hard to with right?
2: sometimes, because yeah. it's just like anything, it's like exercise or anything, <laughs> right. when you get busy, <laughs> you tend to think, oh, I don't have time for that, but but I always tell people, you know, just like five minutes a day will make a difference, just by, even if you're sitting at a stoplight, you know, just close your eyes for a Five, you know, five seconds, and take a deep breath and connect with your body, and that helps. Just any time you think of it, it really does help.
0: Yeah, even as you speak now, I kind of did that. Good. <laughs> I closed good. my eyes and now. Uh, good. Exactly. We need reminders. That's amazing. Uh-huh. How how well, that.
2: Yeah, right? that's why in the- those meditation retreats they have those those bells. You know, you'll just oh. be going about <laughs> yeah. your day, and then you hear this bell ring, and that's a reminder: close your eyes and take a breath. That's what it is. Uh, so so you- it nice. You always have to have reminders throughout the day.
0: So true, and you became mine today. It's kind of um, another beautiful message on community, as you talked earlier, exactly. how important that is, right?
2: Exactly. Oh, Mary, each other.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for your presence and um, contribution to a more peaceful, healthier, and beautiful reality for all of us.
2: Well, thank you so much. I've never been on a podcast before. This is pretty fun. I oh. was nervous, but it wasn't as bad as I thought. <laughs> You're so sweet and easy to talk to, so you made it easier. Oh. I
0: love this so it becomes almost my uh, yeah like I said my sacred place yeah and it, it's very casual yeah. I love the, being casual about these things I think yeah, it's light I like that's that too. my playfulness it's uh, it makes
2: it more conversation and you you probably get to learn and meet these interesting oh people God. I can tell you love it
0: yes yeah yeah a billion times to that um to that learning <laughs> <laughs> it keeps me going yeah, it's great. I do have a few more questions for you, the ending questions. But before that, would you like to add anything else that we didn't cover or discuss today?
2: Well, <laughs> the one little blurb I just want to throw out there is like, even though I'm always focused on mental health, more recently, I've been kind of more obsessed with climate change and, um, you know, the state of our our planet and being wor- worried about animals and communities that are affected. So I guess my one little message is please to try to be conscious about that and try to, you know, keep um, focused on politics that are, you know, doing things that are making it very easy for the oil companies to, you know, pollute the world and, you know, just try to make mindful choices. Like I, I've been leasing a electric car, for example. Yeah, it's yeah, it's just like nice that. to feel like you're not, you know, contributing to the... To the harm. So I guess that's my little shout out about that. <laughs> yeah,
0: beautiful. Another beautiful message. Thank you, Mary. Because yeah. ultimately, everything's connected, right?
2: Exactly. It's, exactly. And if we don't have our nature and our earth, we don't have anything. That's
0: another beautiful reminder because sometimes we tend to forget, huh?
2: Yeah, These we things. just get caught in the day-to-day. But it's a huge thing. Mm-hmm.
0: So my last question is what three experiences you wish everyone to have before they lose the body, before they die?
2: Hmm, interesting question. Three experiences. Well, the first one I would say is falling in love. Yeah. <laughs> that's the first one that came to me because I do think that's yeah. probably the best feeling on earth, even though it can sometimes lead to heartache and pain. I still think it's um, such a beautiful experience. Um, let's see, another another experience I would say if possible, going to a foreign country, a country that you're not from, and just learning um, what other cultures are like and learning to be, um, you know, connected with with communities who have had such a different uh, experience. I think that's so enriching. And finally, I I think it's important and, and really invaluable to get in touch with creativity. So finding a, a form of artistic expression, I come from a family of artists, my mom's a painter, my brother's a writer and actor and singer, and my aunt's a professional singer, my dad plays instruments. I mean, it's, I grew up with a lot of creativity. And uh, I really believe it's such a beautiful part of life. It sort of separates humans from, you know, other animals in the sense that it's, you know, art is just such a beautiful gift to the world. So I think finding ways to connect with art um, and music and um, creative expression.
0: I love your wisdom.
2: Thank you for <laughs> Thank sharing
0: you. it. <laughs> ah, wow, really beautiful. We'll be in touch again but before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your work, products, services and future projects?
2: Yeah please please visit my website so it's just my name Dr. Mary Dio dot com. So d r m a r y d e y o.com. And if you know anyone who lives in California, looking for um, individual therapy, couples therapy, or groups, um, I do a group for people who have bipolar disorder. And I do a group called moving through emotional crisis, which is anyone going through a life change that's struggling with depression or anxiety. And the groups are really wonderful. So If you want to just, you know, let me know, reach out to me if you um, are interested in any services.
0: Again, I'll have the link on your podcast profile. Thank
2: you so much, Valerie. I really appreciate it. Thank
0: you, Mary. We'll talk soon. Bye for now. Okay. Bye-bye.
2: Bye. Bye.
1: Thank you for listening. To learn more about Dr. Mary Deo and her work, please visit drmarydeo.com.